one of the remarkable things about our workers for Vacation Bible School is that there are many of them that will take a week off of work just to work Vacation Bible School. We uh, didn't really need that so much this particular Vacation Bible School because they're taking a week off of work in a few weeks to go to Indiantown, Florida for a mission trip. But I want to ask you if um, you were involved in Vacation Bible School at any level, whether it was with a group or teaching or doing crafts or recreation or doing the opening worship or prayer or, most importantly, the snacks. Would you stand up, please? Please, would you stand? Isn't that great? Marvelous. Well, it works in 10 million ways, and it's a wonderful thing. Now, uh, Jessie Johnson didn't stand up, but she created a design for the cutest preschool shirts I've ever seen in vacation Bible school history, and apparently somebody's excited about it. But uh, <laughs> a marvelous thing. She came up through VBS here and uh, was still able to participate from a, uh, from a distance. I want to say a special thank you also to Jennifer A. Dolphson, who spearheaded the coordination organization, pulled together some co-directors, and just hit a home run all over again. Sure did. As she gets to hand it off like a baton or a hot potato, whatever image you want to use to Matt Bartlett for next year, who's our new children and family minister here at Beach Haven. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, we really want you to stay after the service with us uh, for our lunch and bounce houses. Bounce houses are for adults too if you want to go. I am not. I'm going to hide during the entire time. But I wanted to introduce you for just a moment to some of the people that were a part of uh, building up your kids to become like Christ and know Him and to be on mission with uh, Him. These are the folks, and, and uh, they'd like to know you more, and I think you'd like to know them more as well. Well, our theme verse came out of Colossians chapter 1, and I want to invite your attention to Colossians chapter 1 uh, in the New Testament. It's towards the end, one of Paul's smallest letters. Colossians chapter 1, and as you're turning there, I want to tell you about this preacher from a couple generations ago by the name of George Buttrick. George Buttrick was uh, a rather celebrated preacher uh, 50, 60 years ago. He was flying someplace, well it must not have been 50, 60 years ago, well maybe it was, but uh, he was flying someplace and he was seated in his seat writing out some sermon notes, thinking through a sermon, and the passenger next to him said, uh, what, what is it that you're doing? He said, well, I'm, I'm writing a sermon. I, I'm a pastor. He said, well, I don't get into all this complicated religious stuff. Uh, my, my religious faith is very simple. It's the golden rule. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And he said, the, George Buttrick said, well, tell me what you do for a living. And this man said, well, I'm an astronomer. I teach astronomy at the university. Of course, astronomy has been the theme of our week. Uh, stars and moons, the relationship with the planets and galaxies and all. And George Buttrick said, you know, I like my astronomy simple. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. That's enough for me. Well, you know, if you're going to do astronomy, you need to know more than a children's nursery rhyme. If you're going to do Jesus, you've got to know more than the golden rule. Jesus Christ is He who rules it all. And He is worthy in 10 million ways of putting Him in first place. And that's what Colossians 1 teaches, beginning in verse number 13. It says, For He has, Jesus has rescued us 
from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Well, what right does Jesus Christ have to demand supremacy from all the earth? What right does He have? And let me make one thing abundantly clear. You cannot go swimming by just tiptoeing into the water any more than you can go with Jesus Christ by dabbling in Him here and there. You've got to take an entire plunge in Him. And I've got to say to the earth, to principalities, to powers, things under the earth and above the earth, Jesus Christ is supreme. He is above all, and if humans are going to walk with Him and to please Him, then humans have got to declare Him number one in their lives in such a way by faith that it transforms them and they live that way. And if a person is not interested in embracing all of Jesus Christ, they need to stay away. God knows we have enough hypocrites. We don't need any more. We don't need mere religion. We don't need occasional practice of religion. It's all of Jesus Christ or none of Him, His Father declares. It's much like your expectation with marriage. When you married, you expected your spouse and you to set up a home and to be completely faithful to one another, rejecting the single life, rejecting the dating life. It was you and your spouse forever, one-on-one, together. And that is what the Father demands of everyone who has any intention of coming to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Lord and Supreme of all. Now the question is, what right does He have to demand that? Well, the text makes it very clear. And here at Beach Haven, we don't invent sermons, we don't create sermons. Our Sunday school teachers don't invent Bible studies, they don't create Bible studies. What we do is that we find them in the text. And so whatever the text is, that's what we declare and that's what we, uh, that's what we share. And, and so people oftentimes after the service will say, well, good sermon. And I'll tell them, well, it's hard to do a bad book report on a good book. You know, when you've got a good book, you ought to be able to deliver something that's worth knowing. Because frankly, there's not a Bible teacher or preacher anywhere that has an opinion that is, being, that is worth being heard by the people. All week long, the common man and the common woman hear what the politician says and what the commentator says and what the pundit has to say. Whenever they come to a church like this, they want to hear what God says. And what God says is in His Word. And that will structure and shape what we say this morning and should every Sunday, in fact. Well, why can Jesus declare Himself or demand that He be first place in our lives? Well, first, because He rescues. 
Jesus rescues in verse number 13. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. That implies that we are into bondage. Now you may object to that, but the truth is, declaring and admitting that you and I are in bondage is one of the first steps to liberty. It's only then that you will seek it. You say, well, I'm not in bondage to sin. Okay, then stop sinning. Well, hold on just a minute. I'm not murdering anybody, and I'm not running around wild. I, I'm not doing that. I don't cheat on my tax. In other words, I've got the big stuff taken care of. Okay, well, let's talk about the little things then. Well, those are just little things. Well, if they're little, stop them. You see, we are in bondage, and I want to guarantee you this. If you even try to stop the small things without the grace and supernatural intervention of Jesus Christ, you either will fail and become worse, or you'll set aside that small sin and replace it with something else, probably something greater. Here's what's going to happen. You'll come up to me next week and say, Listen, preacher, I gave up a small sin. I quit cussing. Well, that'd be a big step for some people, amen? But they'd say, I quit cussing. And they'd come and tell me. They'd be so proud of themselves. And they've just replaced their cussing with pride is what they've done. That happens every time. If you try to become better without the supernatural salvation and intervention, intervening grace of Jesus Christ, you either won't do it and you'll become worse, or you might accomplish something and you replace it with some other kind of sin. Jesus Christ came to rescue you from that and give you the grace of His power to overcome it all. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. But there's a second reason. He can demand first place. He not only rescues, but He also relocates. Verse 13 says, He has, he has brought us into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. He's transferred us. He's moved us from one place to the next. Now, why does Jesus have to transport us or relocate us from one place to the next? Because... Because we are born sinners, we are crippled, and we are wounded. And we cannot escape the domain and kingdom of darkness and transfer ourselves into His kingdom. Someone else has got to do it. And so it says, He has, he has brought us into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. Now, let me illustrate this. Let's just imagine that today, around 5 o'clock, that um, the uh, nation is going to blow up. And let's say it's going to start on the East Coast and go slowly all the way over, and it's going to stop at the state line between Arizona, Nevada, and California. And, and by the end of the month, the only safe place in the nation will be California. And no transportation works. It's getting blown up, and we have to run to the West Coast. Well, you know what? You might run further than me. And I might run further than you, but there's none of us making it there on time at all. Again, your running ability may be better than mine. Mine might be better than yours, you see. In other words, you may be superior to me, I might be superior to you in our ability to run, but none of us is making it all the way there. No one's going to run that many thousands of miles before everything blows up and consumes us and turns us into crispy critters. No one. The same is true when it comes with getting right with God, with getting into His kingdom. You might be better than me, 
I might be better than you, but none of us is adequate to get ourselves and deliver ourselves into the kingdom. That's why God has got to intervene with His grace in Jesus Christ and transfer us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And thank God He's willing to do it for anyone who repents and places faith in Christ. And so He rescues, He relocates, but then the, the third thing He does is that He redeems. Verse number 14 says, In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, redemption is a legal word that implies we have a debt to the court. We violated the law. We've got a fine with the court. In this case, it's the sentence of death, eternal death, capital punishment forever and ever in hell. Jesus Christ has died on the cross, and that payment there at the cross has satisfied the court of God. And so the debt is paid, which means our sins then can be forgiven anytime we repent and place faith in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ rescues, Jesus relocates, Jesus redeems. And for these reasons and several more, He deserves to have first place in our life, supremacy. But then there's a fourth thing. He also reveals, look at verse number 15. He is the image or the picture, the shape of the invisible God. And so no one's ever seen God, so God made Himself visible and God made Himself known. And isn't it a wonderful thing? When God came to the earth and wanted to make Himself known, He looked just like Jesus Christ. In other words, God feels like Jesus. God thinks like Jesus. God uh, speaks like Jesus. God loves like Jesus. God serves like Jesus. Jesus. In other words, He is, Jesus Christ is God Himself, and He revealed God to the world. Jesus said in John 14, 9, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You see, Jesus is not an inferior God. He's not less God. He did submit to the Father, but His essence and who He is is as much God as God the Father and the Holy Spirit as well. And so when God wanted to be known, And when he made himself known, most brilliantly and obviously, and in the greatest colors, in the greatest way, he looked like Jesus. That is the God that's calling you today to make him supreme and first in your life. And so he rescues, relocates, redeems, he reveals, and then he rules. Verses 15 to 18 get a bit complex, but one term and phrase is piled upon another to indicate that Jesus Christ rules. It says, he is the firstborn. Now, there are many folks in the Old Testament that were not actually the first to be born into a family that are given the title. That was not at all unusual. And so birth does not necessarily mean firstborn, and firstborn does not automatically imply birth. It's a, it's a status thing. And so Jesus Christ was not born in eternity. As the Son of God, He came into the Virgin Mary and was born physically in that way. But in eternity past, Jesus Christ did not have a beginning at all. If He had a literal beginning in the past and was born in that way, He would have had to have a mother back in eternity past, and that's not the case. So what it's referring to here when Jesus uh, is referred to as the firstborn, it's referring to His status He is the highest one and the most beloved and exalted of His Father. It says also, He's the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created. The God active in Genesis 1 and 2 is the God, Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ is the agent that performed creation. And then it says, all things were, uh, by Him all things were created. And look, whether they're in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, angelic beings and ranks of angels. All things were created by Him and for Him. Now that's why your life can get terribly complicated. If you do not live it for the purpose that Jesus Christ designed it for, it can get terribly complicated. It's like using a VW Bug as a jet ski. It isn't going to work. It wasn't made for that at all. And using your life for any other purpose than to magnify Jesus Christ, to know Him and to obey Him, is going to lead to similar confusion. Because all things were created by Him and for Him. He rules. And then verse 17, He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together, whether the atoms or the planets and their relationship to one another. Uh, and then, He is the head of the body. He's the brains of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have supremacy. And then He goes on to say, uh, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. All the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus Christ. That means Jesus Christ was equally God with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ rules. And so our posture and our disposition towards Jesus Christ has got to consist of an eager and zealous submission. We've got to be more hungry for submission to Him than we are even silver and gold. More so than to have our hunger satisfied and our thirst thirst quenched. More than we desire a companion, more than we desire anything else on the earth, His worth and His value is to be the greatest thing we desire. I've got four children, and they're six years between the second and third child. We really wanted them all of, all of them two years apart, but the last two were backordered, uh, is what we hear. And um, they came later. And, and the older two children are very responsible, and they sense the need to help mom and dad out with parenting the younger two children, because apparently at times we were inadequate, they thought. Now, it never occurred to them that we parented them, but they had to, it, it gets confusing at that point. But sometimes the younger two kids would look at the older two kids, especially one in particular, and say, you're not the boss of me. Don't tell me what to do. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not the boss of me. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> hey, that feels kind of good, doesn't it? That feels kind of good, doesn't it? Well, that's what the younger two, that's what the younger two would say to the older two. You're not the boss of me. Don't tell me what to do. Well, and they had a point there. All right? Listen, whenever you come to Jesus Christ, don't you dare come with that attitude. If you have that attitude, you can't come. We're going to invite you after this sermon is over to turn to Christ and to embrace Him as first. And if you've got that attitude, you need to stay where you are. Don't come until you get this straight. But if your heart today is willing to submit to Him, you can come. In fact, how you come to Jesus Christ is this way. You come to Jesus Christ, and you bow before Him, and you say to Jesus, Jesus, 
You are the boss of me. Now tell me what to do. And that's where your heart's got to be to faithfully follow Him. If you don't have that, don't come today. If you do, come. In fact, I would tell you, if you don't have that kind of heart, don't read the Bible. Because your accountability goes up and you become disobedient. That's not a good situation. Only approach God and come to Him if your heart is willing to surrender to Him. Jesus Christ is worthy, and the Father protects His dignity of His Son. Please, don't ever, ever underestimate the love of the Father for His Son. That's why there are no unbelievers. There's no filth. There's no wickedness in the kingdom. That's why the earth and all humanity is going to be cleansed from the wicked and wickedness and evil. Jesus Christ has suffered enough for sinners. The Father won't let Him do it again. And so if you come to Christ... Come with that attitude. You are my boss. Now tell me what to do. If, you have, if that's where your heart is today, you come and you give yourself to Jesus Christ and He loves you and that leads us to the final, the final reason He should have first place. And that is, He reconciles. Verses 19 to 20 make that clear. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. And so when Jesus Christ came to the earth from the birth until the resurrection, the fullness of God, nothing lacking, dwelt in Him. And so the God who went to the cross was fully God and fully man. As man, He was paying the penalty for sin. As God, He was saving all those who would believe. That's who was at the cross. Someone more dignified, supreme, high, holy, and sovereign above you and me. Never, ever get bored with this cross. Never cease to be amazed at the sacrifice was there because the Father certainly is not. And so when Jesus went to the cross and was bleeding there in agony and in pain, all the fullness of God dwelt in Him there. And it goes on to say in verse number 20, through Him to reconcile, to bring peace, to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. In fact, one day when Christ returns and inaugurates his kingdom, snakes and children will get along just fine. Lions and lambs will lay down together and eat straw. That's the extent to which Jesus Christ will bring harmony and peace. And if he can do that in the animal kingdom, imagine what he can do between you and God. This is what Jesus Christ will perform. So he reconciles all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Listen, the Father is satisfied with what Jesus did at the cross. He's reconciled to all of this. He's at peace with the death of Jesus on the cross. He proved it by raising him from the dead. Now, it's your move. It's your move to do something with Jesus Christ. It's time for you to be reconciled to Him. Reminds me of a man that came into the pastor one day for some marriage counseling. His wife didn't come. He was there talking to the pastor. And th this fellow was, was, a, was a great man, but he butchered his language and his grammar, rhetoric, his vocabulary choices. And he finally said to the pastor, Pastor, what we really need, my wife and me, is a recancellation. They needed reconciliation, but he called it a recancellation. You know, I like that. Do you know why you and God can be on good terms? 
Because at the cross, Jesus canceled the penalty of your sin. That's why. And there's been a cancellation of your debt before God. You can be free as from, the, from the condemnation, wrath and fury of God, eternal death and hell. You can be free. You can be on good terms with God if you will reject where you are now and turn to Jesus Christ. And we want to give you that opportunity. Would you quickly stand with me, please? And let's talk to God about it. Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity that you give us to turn to the Lord Jesus. And I thank you for the hundreds and thousands we've seen through the years that have done that. Oh God, would you intervene just one more time for somebody today to be made right with you. And I pray that they will put you first place, Lord Jesus, in their faith and stop trusting themselves. Stop exaggerating their virtue. Be broken and humble. That they would come submissively to you, obeying your gospel. We, we ask the Holy Spirit to intervene in that way. And then others have known you, but they need to return. And we ask for that. Others need to declare your name here on the mission field. Move on them. And then, Lord, there are other needs that need to be addressed here today that you know. And I pray that you'll give friends the courage to step up from where they are and seek you, to be open and public about you. And we praise you for hearing this. Now, I want you to keep talking to God where you are. And I want you to decide now to do something with Christ. Would you step out from where you are, walk down this aisle, meet one of our staff, and uh, share your need when you come. Some of you opened your heart to the Lord during Vacation Bible School, and you're ready to make that public. Why don't you come? Some of you are not quite sure, and you want the church to pray for you. We've got some adults. We've got some kids in those categories. Would you come? I'm going to finish my prayer. We're going to invite you to come. And we're going to ask God to do a neat work with you. Don't wait. Just as soon as I say amen, we'll start singing and you come. Father, I thank you that you love your son. And I pray that you'll do all that's necessary to make sure that when our final amen is said here today, he will have first place. In Jesus' name, amen. You come.